It is June the 19th, 2019. I'm James Briarton, and this is the Carolina Weather Group. We're so happy you are here, either live with us or listening to our audio podcast. Our announced schedule interview for tonight has been rebooked for a later date because of a conflict on the guest's schedule. But we have a great program for you ahead, beginning with a look back at our conversation with meteorologist Mace Michaels. He's a freelance meteorologist for the Minnesota Twins. And while I may be sitting here in my New York Mets shirt... He has a lot of really interesting points that he's going to be telling you about. So if you're a baseball fan or really any sports fan, we're going to be talking about that key interaction between the atmosphere, the environment, and being out there on the ball field. That's coming up in what we like to call a Carolina Weather Group Rewind, condensing down some of our best moments from that earlier episode, and that will be coming your way in just moments. After that, we're going to be looking back at our Carolina Weather Group Storm Chase. We had three men out in the field chasing storms earlier this year in the Central Plains. You've probably seen some of their footage on this show, but now we have some never-before-seen footage from their trip through places like Colorado and Oklahoma and Kansas and Texas. That's coming up this hour as well, too. And before we say goodnight, a look ahead at tomorrow's severe weather threat. The Storm Prediction Center from the National Weather Service has much of the Carolinas in a slight risk of seeing severe weather. So we'll have a breakdown of your forecast coming up this hour. Our panelists are here. The panel is here, and they're looking forward to interacting with you during tonight's program. And to do that, you can comment on whichever platform you're watching live on right now, whether that's Facebook or YouTube or Periscope or Twitch. Just send us a comment, and we're here to talk with you throughout tonight's program. And if you're listening on the audio podcast of tonight's program on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or TuneIn Radio, You can send us a voice memo. Just check out the link in the show notes right there on your podcast app, and you could become a part of a future episode. Now, without further ado, here's a look back, a rewind, if you will, to our interview with Mace Michaels. Tonight's guest is meteorologist Mace Michaels. Uh, Mace wears a lot of hats in the weather industry, but uh, most importantly... He's got probably one of the coolest gigs uh, that I know of around here. We're going to talk about that. Mace is uh, the meteorologist for the Minnesota Twins, and he also does some work for Weather Nation. Thanks, Scotty, for having me on tonight. Let's talk about the coolest job that I think any meteorologist has. Uh, You get to work for uh, the Minnesota Twins. So uh, kind of a two-part question here. How did you get hooked up with the Twins? And then what is is your day-to-day operations once baseball season uh, starts? And Larry DeVito, the head grounds crew, head groundskeeper, he uh, wanted to have a little more weather reinforcement just because Minnesota, again, we can have snow in the beginning of the season. September snow would be pretty rare, but it could happen. But again, in the beginning of the season, we can have it. Our opening day this year is in the end of March, last Thursday in March. So uh, it's a concern. We can be very cold, obviously rain at any point in time. Uh, You go from your stratiform rain in April to all the convective stuff you can get on and off through April and the rest of the season. Twins were interested. There weren't any other teams that had a meteorologist on site, and they wanted to have that aspect of being able to talk to the meteorologist right there so I can get the updated radar picks right away. I spent a lot of time looking at models beforehand, but then it's all radar after that between uh, MPX and also uh, we're lucky enough to have a, a terminal Doppler here. So you know, Mace, um, I'm a meteorologist for the Charlotte Motor Speedway, so I know the pressure that comes with. You have a lot of folks in this in this small enclosed place, and you have storms all around. I, I, talk to us about some of the pressure uh, that it brings with with lightning and people's safety. 
Uh, there, I probably have 10 to 15 days where I really have to worry about weather. There's probably 20 to 25 where I'm watching something in the state, but the threat is lower. So we figure out on average 10 to 15 days are the, you know, the worries where we have to be worried about a postponement or it actually happening or a delay or something like that. And, you know, it, it, you're really concerned about when it moves in, just like you would be with the speedway there, when something will begin, when something will end and try to give them the most accurate forecast that you can. Um, because again, we're just worried about that one a small square area of a storm moving in and affecting us. Uh, I can think of a couple of times, I'll look at traffic cameras sometimes to see how hard it's raining, because of course we can play through a light rain. And just to get the ground truth of, yes, the radar looks like this, but you know, in some cases that light rain may be lighter or heavier than uh, really what that good old blue or light green is showing, the uh, or lower DBZ levels, uh, how it transitions to how heavy it may be falling. Also getting that ground truth when it's pouring hard, we can look at just a couple of exits or so up on the interstate and get an idea. Okay, it's hit there. I know that's two miles away. It's moving at this speed. This is how many minutes away it is for us. And we can try to keep the umpires updated through the grounds crew to give them that exact time of when they can pull off. Uh, and the quicker we can get the tarp on, the quicker I can let the grounds crew know to get the tarp on. When it comes off, the less work they have to do on the field afterwards. So uh, the more we're able to let the umpires know, hey, in five minutes, this isn't just going to be a light rain. When you start to see it come in, Let's get off the field right away, even if it's just a little light rain, because when it starts pouring, it's going to be rough. And the quicker we can cover up the field, the better we'll be for later on. So we're not sitting here for three hours and then having to do an hour of maintenance on the field after everything quits raining. You know, every team should have a meteorologist on site. It, it kind of blows my mind that that's not something not standard practice. Um, have you ever run into recalcitrant umpires? It's like, no, no, we don't need to call a game just yet. You know, have you ever run into anybody who's, you know, maybe giving you a hard time about lightning and, you know, uh, things of that nature? When it comes to the lightning side, that's more of our uh, internal operations. They're concerned about that for the stands and everybody else. So I'm letting them know, and they're getting the same lightning alerts on their phone. So they're they're down already seeing me before the lightning is moving in. They'll let me, you know, they'll hit me three, four hours before the game if we have a squall line moving in. Is this one going to have lightning? Do I have to be concerned with it? So I let them know from that aspect. And they're already usually down there with me well before the line hits uh, just to, to be aware from that side and let everybody know what's going on uh, uh, lightning wise. But when it comes to the, the umpiring side, it kind of depends on who the crew is. Uh, the younger guys or uh, an older, well-established crew and how to, you know, some of them like to wait until it's raining a little heavier. Others, they tend to see what we're seeing and they'll listen uh, or, or take my advice a little earlier and they definitely want to get out of there. But also if we're into a certain time of the year and that, that affects things a lot, scheduling as well, um, be honest, if both teams are not in a race and in a hunt, uh, we may play right up until that rain gets going and we won't postpone uh, to worry about starting pitching and things like that. The last thing you want to do is have the game start. Some of your ace starters get going through two innings and then a squall line come in and you have to pull them. So yep. we'll tend to postpone ahead of time or not postpone, but delay the start, get the squall line through and then start the game late. If we can get an idea of when that will move through the week before that, I had a great little victory. Uh, I, we heavy rain in the forecast, 
but I saw that we had a window on the HRRR of maybe two and a half, three hours, started the game quickly on time, kept everything moving. The rain started at about six and a half uh, innings in through. So we ended up canceling or postponing, delaying the game after that, waited out, wasn't able to finish it. Twins got a win, so I was happy once the time we canceled the game. So you have your victories and losses in the weather department as much as we have them also uh, on the field some nights. We have a, a viewer question, Mace. Uh, this comes from uh, Ed English, and he was talking about, um, he said, hey, Mace, it seems like various computer models generate most of the weather forecast. How much do you rely on your own interpretation of the weather data when forecasting? He's um, I, I still do the forecast the old-fashioned way. I'm looking at the models, but I'm using as much of my own background and interpretation to try to get a feel. And, and like I was saying, I, I was thinking of that one storm where we had the northeast wind coming in, and I can't think of how many times the northeast wind has burned me on start times in the younger years of my career, uh, knocking down the dry air. And you can really see that dry air intrusion even more than you you can. And uh, back from the old days of the NGM when I was young and it would throw warm fronts in here and bring up a lot of rain, sometimes six, eight hours earlier than they would. So I still build off of that as much as I can looking at the forecast. Sometimes it's overload. And when they're all screaming at you, this is going to happen. Uh, I, I'll admit it's hard to say, I, I, yeah, I, maybe that's when the snow or the rain is going to start or we are going to see five to six inches of snow. Kind of a fun question here. How has the players and the coaches uh, took on to having an on-site meteorologist? Do they do they kind of pull you aside and say, hey, what does it look like tonight? Or uh, do they ask for personal forecasts? I mean, what's the relationship like between you and the players and you and the coaches? I don't see the players as often. You know, I say hi to them. I'll see them every once in a while. But they've got a whole different routine before the game, and they're in a different area than than I am. So I catch them during batting practice occasionally. But uh, you know, management is who I'm usually dealing with. Some of the Twins coaches uh, are more active with us. Others, not as much. And you kind of hit on it a little bit, but uh, do you provide, I guess, more of a uh, game time decision based service to the twins, or is it is it an ongoing relationship? Even you know, like medium long term forecast. Uh, it's mainly on the short term side, day to day, and we'll post a forecast kind of written on the board there when we think things will move in, what time. So day to day, yes. But if there's concerns for stuff long term, I'm always looking at it, especially if it's sunny and eighty and a beautiful day. But we know a front's going to move in in three days. We, you know, I'm I'm looking at that, and we're planning ahead. And uh, the Larry uh, Heads groundskeeper will ask me. Um, you know, if he has to do a fungicide uh, spray or something going on, if he knows we're going to have a really hot period with a lot of humidity, that will affect when he does certain types of treatments to the field. So he'll ask me, of course, if we have a lot of dew in the morning, high humidity, uh, certain cases are better for him on how he deals with the field and treats the field, let alone he doesn't want to be out there on a day where it's 95, 100 degrees with the sun beating down on him to cut the grass one day. He may wait till the next day to do it or do it early in the morning. So from simple things like that to more complex, uh, we chat about those type of things as well. What are the criteria for canceling or postponing or delaying a game when there's a thunderstorm in the area? Uh, so for cancellating or postponing a game lightning wise, MLB does not have a rule like the NCAA. So we're kind of worried about anything within the four to five mile radius. And that's when we'll start to post things on the uh, stadium scoreboard. You know, want to head to shelter, move away. But there is not an MLB standard. Um, we've played 
on with a lot of lightning going on in the distance. So that's out of my area. That's operations. That's MLB. I'm just the mouthpiece to let them know lightning's likely to come in at this time. We've had strikes here. And again, uh, Twins management folks are always in with me asking me how it's moving in. And we'll inform the crowd from there on uh, when it may move in or anytime put stuff up uh, on, on the screen from that side. About how winter weather impacts uh, your games, but it sounds like that's a, a frequent thing some years and going back to last year with the blizzard. Some years, yes. Other years, no. Uh, when they opened the stadium, which was uh, an exhibition game with the Cardinals uh, in 2000, it was 80 degrees in late March and the opening day was about 82 in early April. Uh, and then again, last year, third week of April, we had 20 plus inches of snow. And our concern then was, how do we get, uh, it's heated, we're heated underneath. So that's not a concern. We knew it would melt other than we can't melt 20 inches. We were out of town after that. So we didn't have to worry about the next day once the series was done, but it was clearing off the stands. How do you clear off 20 inches of snow for 40,000 people and get that out so we can have folks come in and watch the game? So have you ever played a game with snow falling? I haven't had to worry about that flurries wise. Uh, we have had days where we thought we might have to worry about flurries. Uh, Todd Nelson, the other meteorologist, uh, he had the cancellation games on the weekend with the White Sox when we lost the games last year. And we did lose a game on the Saturday right after opening day. And it was due to 30 degrees and there were some flurries that moved in late in the day. So it is a concern. I just personally haven't had it. Uh, Mason, we really appreciate you being on with us tonight. Um, for those followers who are, are watching right now on our live stream and those who maybe listen on the podcast, uh, if they want to follow your work, how, how can they do that? Uh, Twitter, uh, it's it's in the same on Facebook. It's real easy. Just Mace Michaels, um, M-A-C-E Michaels. Uh, you'll find me there. Hit me up. Ask me any questions as you have them. Uh, I'd love to hear from folks. Sounds good. Well, we hope you have a great uh, baseball season. Good luck to the Twins. and. Uh, if you like Carolina Weather Group Rewinds, just like you just saw there in our conversation with Mace Michaels, we would encourage you to become a Patreon supporter of the Carolina Weather Group. What is a Patreon supporter, you may ask? Well, it's a popular platform where creators like ourselves can ask you at home, our elite listeners, to join our loyal fan club to get exclusive content like these Carolina Weather Group Rewinds. We'll have more of them coming up where we're going to dig back into the archive and find longer programs and boil them down to some really fine moments. And uh, those will be coming out exclusively for supporters of the Carolina Weather Group. So you can join that fan club on Patreon. And yes, it may cost a buck or two or whatever you've got lying around, but it's going to go towards building up the Carolina Weather Group and bringing you more programs and more trips like this because we uh, visited the Central Plains this month, as you may recall. Scotty Powell, Chris Jackson, Evan Fisher spent several days chasing storms throughout Colorado and Kansas and Texas and Oklahoma. And uh, we're going to look back now at some of the footage that they sent back during their trip, including some never-before-seen footage. And we really would appreciate if you would consider becoming a supporting member of the Carolina Weather Group so we can continue to do really cool trips just like this. This is the beginning of our Chase Cajun vlog. It is a little bit, a little bit less than 24 hours until we take off from Greenville and head out to Denver for our first Chase Day. Uh, I'm packing up, just about completely packed actually, and Scotty Powell is on his way to come pick me up. I'm leaving my home. I am on my way to go get Evan Fisher. We are about to embark on a nine-day 
Uh, Stormtation is what we're calling it. And we're gonna head down to Greenville tonight, uh, stay the night there, and then fly out real early tomorrow morning. Um, Chris Jackson will be driving up tomorrow morning since he's already kind of a local guy in South Carolina. So uh, we're gonna be doing a, a blog throughout the event, so uh, we're looking forward to doing that as well, keeping you involved. So. Um, but this is the beginning of a eight or nine day vlog. Um, every day we're going to be putting these out, um, showing you what we're doing, where we're going, um, and what we're seeing, because we're hoping to see some really cool things. I'll turn the camera around and let you see a little bit of what we're packing and how I'm getting ready for this trip. Um, so I've got GoPro, tripods, work gloves, just in case I need those if there's a you know, tornado hits the structure. I've got clothes and toiletries and and books. I'm all packed up. I just left my family and my dog, so. I'm got a tech bag with different chips for the SD chips for the camera, as well as computers and cords and sunglasses and shoes and some more muddy shoes that I can get dirty. If we come on a situation, because there's a lot of flooding out there right now. Um, 6 a.m. flying from Greenville, South Carolina to Detroit, Michigan. We'll be laid over for about an hour and then we'll head from Detroit to Denver, Colorado. And uh, from there, it's wherever the storms take it. So, we'll see. Uh, hopefully we see some good stuff while we're out there. We'll be out there for long enough that we should, and these first few days actually look pretty active. Yes, it does look like it's going to be pretty active uh, period of weather, at least uh, through the first half of uh, next week out in the Midwest, so. I'm not sure where exactly we'll end up yet. I'll let we'll confer with everybody before you know, I start spewing out states. Um, hopefully we're looking forward to meeting some people out there on the plains. Um, Sirens Project as well as um, the Stormfront Freaks is out there. We'd like to meet uh, meet up with y'all. And... Um, I'm not sure, I'm, we'll probably be Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, somewhere in that area um, as uh, we start off the week. And then uh, we'll kind of see from there where the, uh, the storms take us. So again, I'm all packed up. I'm leaving Morganton here and uh, looking forward to uh, this uh, storm chase-cation. It's gonna be a good week. Never been storm chasing, so I am uh, looking forward to it. Excited to spend some time with um, the guys uh, at Carolina Weather Group and uh, just look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you all as well and you know our adventures. So uh, let's hit the road. Let's go to Asheville. Airport, so we just got off our flight uh, from Greenville, South Carolina. So we got the whole panelists here. Let's uh, kind of talk about Chris. You've been looking at the severe weather today. What's our game plan once we get in Denver? Uh, we're gonna check it, check all the uh, the mesa analysis, surface analysis, see what everything looks like, and uh, formulate a game plan. We've got two little locations I'm thinking about, and uh, see which one looks the best. Well, okay, so I think we're live here. Uh, Scotty Powell, Evan Fisher, Chris Jackson up front. Uh, driving, uh, literally, Evan, we landed about, I don't know, it was like 11.30. We had lunch about 12-ish, and we're already uh, placed in a tornado watch. So we're chasing this just east of Denver. Uh, we can see a wall cloud from here. Uh, it's a pretty heavy precip, definitely some big hail in there. Uh, and Chris is trying to get us in position to get just on the east side of that. There has been a, a tornado watch issued for this area. You can see these we had some mammatus clouds just a little bit ago. All right, guys. So uh, we are just north of, I think, Fort Morgan. Is that yeah. where we just came through? Uh, we're watching a uh, tornado warning cell right now. 
Uh, this is the sail that's Tornado Warren right now. We've noticed a, a little bit of an uptick in lightning over the past couple of minutes. So um, our goal is to kind of get north of this sail um, and try to get a better view on it. Several suspicious areas, several lowerings, but we have not been able to visually see anything yet. Looking at the exact location of this storm right now, this is exactly where the HER, uh, HRRR, is a forecasting a very high resolution weather model. It was forecasting a single cell to pop up right where this is and just truck northeast all the way through the uh, Nebraska line. One thing we've avoided, um, Evan, was the hell. So you can hear the tornado sirens are going off here in Sterling, Colorado. It's the first time I've ever experienced tornado sirens. Here's the tornado worn cell right here. does sound like a whistle. Large. Look at it dancing. Hey, we're about to get Scotty Powell, Evan Fisher, Chris Jackson, somewhere around. There he is. Yep. He's coming in. So we're going to give you a little recap of today. Today was our first day uh, chasing. We got into Denver, Colorado. I think it was around 10 o'clock this morning. Yep. And uh, we got on the road about 11.15ish, <laughs> 11.30. And by two hours into it, we were already seeing tornado warning sails come up. And uh, I think... I don't know the official count, but it's going to be somewhere like seven to ten tornadoes yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, uh, and these weren't the big wedge tornadoes that you may see on TV. Um, and they were pretty, um, pretty cool to see. A lot of, uh, a lot of these cloud, a lot of these tornadoes was out in the middle field. Yeah, so absolutely. We didn't have a lot of like houses and yeah. property damage. Yeah, I, did, I, I haven't even seen anything other than like some, uh, some tumbleweeds uh, destroying today. It was awesome. Yeah. Good to see this weather. It just makes it all. So it was cool. Uh, Chris, you were driving today. Uh, we were in the midst of a hailstorm. Yeah. And uh, it was probably about two inches of hail at one time on the yeah, ground. Yeah, the, the Denali that we have, uh, it's got four-wheel drive. And the only way I could get any traction on, on a paved road was uh, using four-wheel drive because the hail was so deep. And uh, it, it was actually pretty pretty impressive for me. Like, I, you know, I drove fire trucks for over 10 years, and having to do that was like, well, daggum, I gotta use some skills. It was almost like it was snow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. It was, it was, it was like it was, snow. A little bit about how the structure's formed. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys can see it, if you want to take it up, we 
got nice big. Uh, it was a low precipitation supercell, but it's starting to get a, a good bit of precipitation in it now. Uh, classic mothership type structure. And uh, what happens is, uh, you know, with the cold, the cold air aloft and the low level jet coming in here, it, it helps to really sculpt this storm up. And, and if you guys can see, it looks like it looks like a wedding cake. It's got layers on it. And uh, as you go up, you can see some of the fingers uh, going into it, and that's some of the, the elevated moisture is helping feed the storm. But we've been watching this storm for probably 45 minutes now. But anyways, it's been a really good day. Uh, and um, I'll be honest with you, tomorrow and Wednesday look to be just as good weather-wise. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow it may even be a little bit more severe, to be honest with you, uh, in portions of Kansas. So that's where we plan to go next. So we're going to go ahead and log off here. Uh, it's pretty chilly, and I think we're all a little tired. We didn't really sleep at all last night, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, it's been a very long day. I don't even know what day it is time it is so uh, anyways we're gonna go grab some dinner and probably spend the night somewhere in Nebraska or Kansas and uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow to let you know where we're gonna be chasing we started off in Oakley Kansas um, which is between Hayes and uh, Junction City I believe be the two major city or not major but pretty big cities and um, we started out, we, we looked, and we, I think at one point where we were at an enhanced to moderate risk of severe weather with all modes of, of severe weather possible. And uh, Chris, uh, like we said, Chris is the expert out here. Evan, I've, we've not done this before, so we were going off of Chris's leanings, and, and it turned out to be a good thing. Chris, you didn't really want to chase the – Kansas City, Lawrence, Kansas populated area because of the possibility of seeing a lot of uh, HP high precipitation supercells. Yeah, that's that's right. You know, looking at the setup, uh, you had a you had a moisture stream that was coming off the Gulf with with a really really uh, you know high amount of moisture coming into those storms, and as they developed, you know, you could just see the moisture on radars. It was just it just going into the uh, the the first storm that developed it that put the uh, half mile wide wedge down. So, you know, just looking at the environmental parameters going on, I chose the triple point uh, uh, back closer to Hayes, which we ended up having to backtrack about 80 miles. But um, there was a lot of low-level cape uh, in, in Cape of Thunderstorm fuel. At the surface, uh, there was uh, a little over 5,000 joules per kilogram of cape, which is an extraordinarily large amount of uh, energy for thunderstorms, and that's what tornadoes love. Combine that with a, a retreating warm front, uh, that allowed for a, a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, wind shear, if you will, and uh, some low-level helicity. Uh, the, the first storm that formed put down a funnel within 20 minutes of going up. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a really brief funnel, but uh, we intercepted the storm, I mean, right as it was getting ready to do its thing. And I, I happened to look up and notice the ground circulation. There was no evidence of a funnel whatsoever. And then it went. It quickly went multi-vortex, and then, then we had a half-mile wedge within four minutes. We were freaking out because we had never seen any. You only see these on TV and uh, chasing and stuff. And this was a really large tornado, and uh, it was it was crazy because we saw all the steps. It was a, a multi-vortex, and then a cone, and then a stovepipe, 
and then actually roped out to this little tiny pencil. Uh, it was a crazy storm, and then we watched that storm continue to track, and we've, we've got just the uh, preliminary data from the National Weather Service in Wichita, Kansas. It was an EF2, and uh, this, I think, was on the ground about 24 miles, and then we picked it up as it was going through Luray and Tipton. Yeah. So, like I said, we actually thought that it had split um, and died off halfway through, but it must have just been wrapped up in the rainfall because we couldn't see it. Uh, but it turns out it, w- it didn't die out halfway through, uh, and it re-strengthened as it went through Tipton. Uh, as it went through Tipton, we actually came across the damage path. Um, there were some tractors, some farm equipment that had been tossed and mangled pretty bad, uh, as well as some power lines that were down over the road. And it missed the house. I it mean, it was about maybe 100 down. yards. Yeah, and the house had no damage at all, not even little twigs down in the front yard. Uh, it's pretty unreal how it, it can come back close to a tornado and not see any, not even the slightest bit of damage. It's crazy how, it's not really crazy, but it's just something we've not experienced. The police block the roads out here. Uh, they they block the roads. They go driving through towns with their sirens on, uh, telling people about the tornado warning. The storm sirens are going off. It's just things that we don't experience in the South. Yeah, it was unreal, and it was honestly, like you said, scary at first. All through this, we saw uh, the University of Oklahoma's radar truck out, and we saw Kermit. Yeah, uh, and for those of you who don't know what Kermit is, Kermit is one of the two airplanes that we saw, the Hurricane Hunters, uh, two or three weeks ago now, I guess. Uh, and it was pretty cool. We, we probably saw Kermit fly in and around the storm above our heads you know, 10 to 15 times. Uh, which, which was pretty cool, uh, and like you said, uh, we saw, we've seen people from all different areas of tornado research, um, from Oklahoma University, um, University of Oklahoma, to uh, Texas, the, Tech, Texas Tech, the Taurus Project, um, Emory-Riddle, Emory uh, so we, we've seen just about everybody, it's been awesome. Carolina Weather Group, Evan Fisher, Scotty Powell here with you, uh, kind of recapping day four, just day four, I think it is, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, yes, yeah, day four, so uh, we're in Lubbock, Texas tonight, uh, we went down, it was honestly close to Mexico. We were 38 miles from Mexico <laughs> at one point. Yeah, and uh, today the setup was um, uh, down in the Fort Stockton area, uh, Fort Fisher, um, we were in Alpine Texas where we came across a supercell uh, but they were under a slight risk of severe weather and eventually a tornado watch was issued and there's a few storms that popped up but we really didn't have a good play on any of them because the, the train there is beautiful but it's hard to navigate yeah we had to navigate through some mountains um, and to be honest I don't think anyone today saw a tornado no. uh, there were at least 10 to 15 chasers out there in the general vicinity uh, which to be fair it is a very long drive down there very remote uh, and like you said, there's tons of mountains and then random plateaus that make it kind of difficult to traverse the terrain because, you know, there's only one road every 10 miles or so. So it, it was a tough chase, but yep. it was beautiful terrain. We don't feel that bad about getting scum through storms. It was almost kind of like being back in western North Carolina for you and I yeah. both. Um, it was kind of chilly up there. It was in the 60s and kind of drizzly, but uh, I guess we, we did come across some nickel to maybe some quarter-sized hills. It's kind of hard to tell. We wasn't out there. We were driving in it. 
there was two supercells, and one thing, Evan, that I noticed is the storms, they were slow movers, and they lasted for, I think, three, four hours. Well, at least that one storm was all, was going on for at least three hours. Yeah, so initially during the day, we had driven down to Fort Stockton from Midland. Uh, I posted up in this, this one spot, uh, pretty far away from the storms, to be honest, waiting to see what was going to happen. And the storm that we ended up chasing was just sitting on just on the other side of the mountain ridge uh, and wasn't moving at all. So after a while, we pulled up off that road and make a decision between going east to a big supercell that was already you know, very well, uh, it, it was it was really getting going. I uh, already had some four inch hail in it. It was an absolute monster uh, with some general broad rotation or we could go west, southwest, uh, up to the mountains as we found out. But I don't, at the time we didn't know there were mountains there um, and chase some kind of outliers there. That's what we went for. And so we're gonna be heading to Oklahoma City, uh, kind of taking a little bit of a break from the severe weather. Uh, which we all need it. We've been on the road for a while now, it seems yeah. like. So hopefully we'll get to see some weather-related things. But Evan, it looks like as we kind of, that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday time frame, uh, the severe weather, um, although there's no major threats, it uh, looks like the storm coverage does ramp back up. So mm -hmm. that'll give us the last few days of chasing. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to chase more up towards northwestern Kansas uh, and eastern Colorado, which is where we started this week. Um, I think we're all very excited about that. It's very predictable, very predictable road uh, networks, as well as this very flat terrain, no mountains, um, and it's just beautiful country. It makes for good chasing. Definitely so. So, uh, thanks for uh, joining along with us uh, as we uh, continue our chase. And as always, you can follow us on our uh, on our social media platforms. Uh, we're doing CWG Chase hashtag CWG Chase. So. If you're on Twitter, you can look that up, or you can follow Evan or myself or Chris on Twitter. And uh, we'll occasionally put things out on the Facebook page, but we're doing a lot more on the Carolina Weather Group Twitter page than anything else in the Instagram page. So look for us there, look for our content, and until uh, tomorrow, we'll talk to you later.
Scotty Powell, Evan Fisher, Chris Jackson here. This is a recorded video. Uh, our service is kind of sketchy. Uh, but we are here in uh, just outside of Breckenridge, Colorado. And Evan, um, we've been chasing tornadoes, hail, flood. Now it's snowing and grappling. Yeah, this is some huge grapple. Um, maybe a few flakes mixed in, but it's cold. Chris, how cold did you say it is? It was 40, uh, 42 all ago. 42 degrees, uh, and it's coming down pretty heavy. I actually started to stick to the road for a second uh, a few minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't take much for the uh, the parking area here. The It's a kind of a dirt parking area, and it's it's got a little bit white. But uh, as you can see, it is really... Uh, coming down and it's June the third, fourth, fourth, I think. Fourth, I think. Yeah, yeah fourth. so uh, it, it's pretty cold, forty degrees now, and um, it is uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty chilly here. I'm going to turn this camera around. You can kind of see the accumulation on the vehicle there, and you can kind of see behind us. You can kind of see behind us is starting to stick on the road. Chris is out here in his shorts too, so there you go. Welcome, welcome to Colorado in uh, in uh, June. Uh, it started off as a little bit of rain, and, but it quickly transitioned to some snow slash grapple. So anyways, it's kind of letting up now, but we wanted to let you know what was going on. This is our last day here on our chase, and uh, we started off with tornadoes, and we're ending with a little bit of snow and grapple. So for Evan Fisher, Chris Jackson, I'm Scotty Powell. We're boarding here in Breckenridge, Colorado where it's in the low 40s with some snow and grapple.
And there you have it, a look back at our Carolina Weather Group Storm Chase. And thanks again to everyone who is a supporting member of the Carolina Weather Group on Patreon, helping to make trips like that possible. Before we go tonight, a look at tomorrow's severe weather threat. Everyone highlighted in yellow is in a slight risk of seeing severe weather. On this Storm Prediction Center scale, that's a tier 2 out of 5, with a few storms towards daybreak and then more as we head towards the peak heating of the afternoon. That will help lead to greater buoyancy in the atmosphere and more scattered storms across the Carolinas and even down into places like Georgia. The corridor of increased instability will encourage robust convection with an increasingly sheared environment for organized thunderstorms as we head through the late afternoon into the early evening hours on Thursday. At this time, it appears damaging winds will be our greatest threat, but we can't isolate or rule out a supercell tornado threat here or there as we head towards this moment of forced frontal convection. So if you're not already, we would encourage you to like and follow or subscribe to us on whichever it is the platform that you're watching us on right now because as we look ahead to severe weather threats just like this, we will be streaming tomorrow sky cams, radar, NOAA weather radio, and more information that you'll need in order to keep yourself educated and kept abreast of this developing severe weather situation. But again, tomorrow on Thursday, a slight risk of seeing some stronger Two severe thunderstorms scattered across the Carolinas. This is, again, a Tier 2 out of 5 type situation here on the Storm Prediction Center scale, and we'll be monitoring it throughout the day on Thursday. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday to the Carolina Weather Group. I'm James Brierton. We'll see you back here next week for another all-new edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Good night. Hey, this is Tim Pounds, Digital Content Editor for the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to check out our weekly live stream every Wednesday at 8.15 p.m. Eastern on all the major streaming applications such as Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, and Twitch, just to name a few. Additionally, be sure to catch our weekly podcasts that are published on your favorite applications such as Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts. Stay weather aware, drive hands-free, and have a wonderful day.